the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program on a cold, rainy day. Please be safe out there. But thanks a lot for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And every weekday at 4 on AM 630, The Word, we take your phone calls because we want to answer your Bible questions. Whatever's on your heart or mind, whatever questions that seem to be bothering you, you can't find answers to, we'll do the best that we can to share the heart of Jesus with you as it relates to those issues. 340-9585 is our phone number. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local calling area, you can call us at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. Of course, that's toll-free. You can email your questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. You can also send them in using the free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you're driving in your car, especially today, the safest way to call is to use the hands-free feature of the KSLR uh, mobile app, which is also free. Just hit the call now button and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, 340-9585. A busy weekend this weekend. I'm sure most of you do with church uh, on the horizon. Tonight we're going to be teaching in Acts chapter 11. A pretty amazing story. Um, sort of the follow-up to Peter's experience with Cornelius as the Gentiles were included for the very first time, and yet now we're going to find that the church explodes yet again uh, in this new phase of the history of of the Christian church. On Sunday, I'm laughing because I'm going to be teaching a passage of Scripture that everybody's going to go, oh, no. And it's about submitting to the government's authorities. Those that, that are governing have been established by God, not the people, not the individual candidates, but the positions of authority. Wherever we, you are in the world, there is authority. Authority and order is a good thing. So we're going to talk about submitting. And the minute I say submit, everybody tunes me out. Nobody likes submitting, especially in this polarized political uh, age that we live in. Uh, but that's what we're going to be teaching. The first five verses of Romans chapter 13 this Sunday. Wherever it is you go to church, um, be someone who's on the lookout. Be on a mission from God. And that mission is to comfort those who need to be comforted, to pray for those who are hurting, to be loving and warm and kind. Be the kind of man or woman that God can use. All you have to do is set your heart on things above and God will use you, I promise. So have a great weekend at church. Well, let me go to some questions that we've had sent in. Uh, I want to read a couple of uh, responses to questions that we had earlier in this week. Um, This first one is from Bruce from our email inbox. And I'm doing this to... Uh, I want to I want to give a balanced perspective. This was in response to the question that we had about homeschooling, and I made a comment that our experience here, and I was only speaking about our experience here at Calvary Chapel Christian Academy, our experiences in homeschoolers or or those who are homeschooled are behind in terms of 
um, their learning, their schooling, um, the, the kids in the equivalent grade here at Calvary Chapel Christian Academy. And Bruce wanted me to know. He said, thank you for expressing uh, and thereby teaching the radio audience that education of a children is a parent's decision and there are many right ways to do so. This decision or parental responsibility is continually under attack and if you your exposure regarding homeschooling is not clarified it may without your intent amplify the enemy's message against God calling upon some families to homeschool which could be a stumbling block now let me stop there for a minute so I can I can address these these issues so that there is clarity Um, I, I have no doubt that God calls some people to homeschool their children I have no doubt. I have no issue with with those who are called by God because God then equips them. The, the issue that I've had with with many homeschooling families is that their their parents simply aren't gifted teachers, or they're not disciplinarians. They don't provide structure, and and school becomes sort of a lazy. Uh, I called it the other day an in your pajama type of a process. But but clearly. Uh, Bruce, and this is for everybody out there, uh, I am in no way um, trying to infer that parents who are called by God to homeschool their kids shouldn't do it. Uh, Just the opposite, in fact, they should do it. So um, clearly some are called to do that. Then he continues, most homeschooling students and families, and then he's got 90% in parentheses, that I've had contact with are amazing. They follow a structured, efficient schedule, including a complete and challenging curriculum preparing for life and success in higher education. Although we were not credentialed teachers, our children were prayerfully instructed by equipped parents, and if I may say so, gifted to do it correctly. And that amplifies the point I was making a moment ago. And by the way, just so people know, uh, I'm not putting any uh, credibility necessarily on credential teachers. Now, again, I, I want to be clear here that uh, teachers are heroes to me. Um, they get paid far too little. Um, they're, they're, they're handcuffed many times in terms of the things that they can say and the types of curriculum that they use. Uh, we also know in public schools we have the big flap over um, teaching for testing rather than just teaching. And all those things are true. But teachers, by and large, are committed, faithful men and women who want to do the best. Um, so um, they're gifted. Now, uh, the reason I brought that up is because our teachers here at Calvary Chapel Christian Academy, by and large, don't have credentials. Uh, we cannot be an accredited school uh, and be free. When God told us to start a, a free school 18 years ago, we had no idea that, that we couldn't be free and be accredited. And what we decided to do prayerfully, led by the Spirit of God, is to have teachers that God called from our own church. Now, many of them were professional teachers. So, so they, they, some have credentials and, and they're wonderful teachers. But others, we've seen that God just sort of plucked them out and turned them into wonderful, wonderful teachers. So I, I'm not idealizing the idea of a credential. What I am trying to communicate is that the calling by God to do this noble thing, to sacrifice what you could make in the open market, to sacrifice uh, time and energy. In many cases, teachers aren't appreciated. Uh, Parents uh, listen to the lies of the students. Well, they're out to get me. They don't like me. And and that's simply not the truth. So um, the credential is just a piece of paper. Um, I, I wish you could see in this audience the, the quality of, of teaching, the consistency of love, the examples of godliness uh, that the teachers here have. And again, I'm sure the same thing is true of many homeschoolers. I'll finish Bruce's comment. He said, uh, true, there are some parents that may be schooling at home where it's not a call of God, but rather out of fear of the world. And so suffering through their own strength, they've given up on the discipline and consistency required to do it right. Sadly, as with any negative, they inaccurately become a spotlight as if presented 
or as if representing the homeschooling population. I also agree that there are congregation-specific homeschool groups that adhere to improper legalism of their congregation, uh, realizing that they are behind in academics and that homeschooling was not right or working for them. As a family, they request to attend a school like yours here at CCA. Um, well, uh, CCCA could be exactly what these students need to succeed. This may present a limited view. So um, um, I hope that's clear. And Bruce, uh, you know me, and and um, uh, I, I intended no offense at all. Um, uh, I don't feel like I have to um, validate uh, homeschool parents. They have every right to do that. Uh, what I want to see is that when parents are called to homeschool their children, they're doing everything is unto the Lord. And that means providing their children structure and providing their children uh, social interaction, providing their children uh, a one-on-one -on -one teaching opportunity uh, beyond just so much of the online curriculum. And I have no doubt, um, as I know your children, I have no doubt that many, many homeschool parents are really committed to doing it and doing it well as unto the Lord. Thank you, Bruce. And if I offended even in the least, I'm really, really sorry. That was not my intent. Here's a question from a mobile app from Amy. What would you say to a friend who just told you they're having a miscarriage, who has recently had a miscarriage? I've never had a miscarriage, but I do have children, and I'm never sure what to say. You know, Amy, this is the, the mourn with those who mourn. Uh, part of our study a few weeks ago in uh, in Romans, uh, we have to learn to mourn with those who mourn. And it's not a comfortable thing. It's an awkward thing. And often we say the wrong things because we don't know what to say. And we feel like we need to say something. So here's what you would say. You would just say, I'm so sorry. How can I pray for you? Is there anything I can do for you? Is there any way I can help you? And most of the time they'll say, no, we're just kind of trying to get through it. We'll just say, you have my number or give them your number and say, I'll be there for you. And then the most important thing you can do is after they're gone is just continue to lift them up in prayer for the peace that passes understanding uh, to help them get through their grief by staying with Jesus, keeping their eyes on Jesus. But Amy, there just isn't anything that you can say to make it better. And I think sometimes when somebody's really hurting, our natural instinct to make things better takes over. And, and we have to resist that. We can't fix it, so we just grieve. We just grieve. I am so very sorry. Now, I can promise you, Amy, wherever it is that you go to church, there are a whole bunch of women and their husbands who have been through this exact thing. And they could comfort your friend with the comfort that they receive from God while in it. You see, that kind of counsel, that kind of comfort means so much more to somebody going through something like this uh, when it comes from somebody who's been through it. It's almost as though we have the opportunity to, to let them know you're going to be okay. Uh, you're sad, but you're going to get through this. And it doesn't mean much coming from somebody who's not had a miscarriage in this particular example. But it means a lot coming from someone who's had it, who's dealt with it, and come through it loving Jesus even more. So Amy, that's all. I wish I had a, an answer. I wish there were some pat answers, but there just are not any simple answers. We just have to be willing to hurt with them. We have to be willing to hurt. Amy, I don't know whether... Uh, you've heard on the show before, but we've talked about some of the ladies in our church. Um, we've, we've had two babies in, in the recent past, three babies actually, in the recent past, with um, moms who had multiple miscarriages, one as many as eight babies, uh, another one with five. Um, we've had people who weren't able to get pregnant, who desperately wanted, who suddenly got pregnant. Um, we had somebody who who uh, adopted a whole family of siblings. Uh, they went to adopt one and saw siblings and ended up with four and then got pregnant. And um, the counsel, the comfort, the love that can come from somebody who's been through that is overwhelming, absolutely overwhelming. And, and um, instruct this young woman, 
I assume she's a young woman. But instruct her to let her prayer needs be known in church, wherever she goes. And if she's not saved, what a wonderful opportunity to witness Jesus. You can tell her, Amy, that you know how she can meet her baby in heaven. You can tell her that her baby's going to be in the arms of Jesus, and if she isn't yet saved, the only way to be connected again to her child will be by becoming a born-again Christian and joining her baby in heaven. So I hope that helps a little bit, Amy, and uh, lots of our audience will be praying for your friend. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from our e- email inbox from Thomas. And um, uh, this is in response to a question that we had uh, yesterday on the program with Paula. Thomas said, I just wanted to say that it's not just women who are desperate to be loved. When I was much younger, he says late teens, early 20s, I would think to myself I wanted to get a girl pregnant so she would have to stay with me and marry me. Men and boys are also desperate. We're just not allowed to say it out loud. Uh, Thomas, we are allowed to say it out loud. Um, you know, we we don't have to give in to the pressure that we have to conform uh, to a certain standard of here's things that we can talk about as men and here's things that we can't talk about as men. We are free to share our feelings uh, anytime with anyone. We don't have to fall into what we perceive to be the stereotypical um, male uh, reactions. So uh, let me just say that first and foremost. I understand that there are many, many men, young and old and everybody in between, who just like women, at least as we characterize them, just want to be loved. Um, Our hearts break. Our feelings get hurt. There's times that we feel helpless and hopeless. Now, as a pastor, I'm going to kind of flip into pastor mode here for a moment, Thomas. Because when somebody comes to me as their pastor and says they want to get married, and uh, we have so many. Can I, I got time. There's nobody on the phone. I got time to tell you a quick story. Uh, on, in February uh, next month, I'm, I'm going to be uh, performing a wedding for a young man who's grown up at our church. And he's gone through uh, some relationships. He's always known he wanted to be a husband and a father. From the beginning, he's known that, even as a young, young boy. Um, and, and he's always looking for that one from God, that one relationship. And um, he had a couple that he thought might be her. Turns out it wasn't so. And so he get to that point where he's afraid to get his hopes up a little bit. But then he did find the one, or she found him. I don't know how it happened. But they're going to be... A, perfect husband and wife as, as a couple. I, it's going to be a fun, fun home. But in this particular case, this guy's so excited, so excited that pre-marriage counseling has been just a blast. Uh, when he came into my office the very first time, um, I sat down and she sat down. Well, he just stood standing up and he kind of took a deep breath in through his nose and, and, and his fiance said, well, what are you doing? And he said, are you kidding? I'm taking it all in. I've I've been waiting for this day since I was 10. And um, he was a man that just wanted to be loved. He wanted to have that partner. So, Thomas, there's a lot of people in the same boat. Um, the only way to sort of navigate safely through this process and not trying to get somebody pregnant just so they'd have to stay with them or Miriam, is to realize that you are loved by the lover of your soul. His name is Jesus. And if we would, I'm going to go on the soapbox for just a moment, Thomas. If we as a church body, just the individuals who make up the body of Christ, would focus on how precious we are to God, how much Jesus loves us, how valuable we are, then we can navigate through all these worldly issues much more successfully with much greater joy without focusing so much on us instead of focusing on Jesus. He is the answer, as I say often on this program, to every problem that we go through. 
And I think when we're looking for love from another human being, it's because we don't yet realize the height and width and depth and breadth of the love Jesus has for us. Now, not to you, Thomas, but to everybody who's out there. Here's my pastor mode. If you're desperate for a relationship, you're a male or a female, doesn't matter. If you're desperate for a relationship, you feel like you're, you're not complete because you don't have a, a, a significant other. Turn to Jesus. He's preparing you to be somebody else's boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife. And before he can trust you with him, you've got to be secure in his love. No human being can fulfill you. Only Jesus can. And you'll be amazed, all of you will be amazed that when you find your fulfillment in Christ, how near, how just how near you are to that person dropped right in your lap by Jesus. So I hope that helps. Let's go to line one. We've got an anonymous caller from San Antonio. You're on the air. Thank you, Pastor Ron, for taking my call. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if you would give us a glimpse of what Calvary Chapel will look like if the Lord delays his coming and he calls you and Mama Paula home, um, what that would look like uh, to the uh, listening audience at large, and I will hang up and listen to your response online. Thank you very, very much. Gosh, that's a thoughtful question. Um, Anonymous, we have actually put a great deal of thought and prayer into this very thing. As as many in the radio audience know, I had a a near-death experience this past year in 2017. Um, um, I had a virus attack my heart and um, you know, I, I sort of felt like I would go forever and, and I was invincible. Uh, but even before that, we had a succession plan uh, in, in place. Um, the best thing I can say about Calvary Chapel, when the Lord takes me and Paula home, uh, and she probably lived 20 years longer than I will, but uh, is that Calvary Chapel will, will, will prosper. Calvary Chapel will thrive. And it will thrive because we are committed to the vision that God has given us. I think that's the key. Um, the church that I'm blessed to pastor, um, I don't, it doesn't need me. Um, I love it. Um, I, I, I still work full schedule and I teach three Bible studies a week. I still do a lot of counseling. Uh, I love being around the people here. Paula loves it as well. But the Lord has raised up um, um, Pastor Ken, Ken Cruzado, and his wife, May. Uh, I think May is going to be one of the greatest pastor's wives in the history of the world. I mean, she is just so precious, and she loves so deeply. And, and she's different than Paula in that she's not, like, out there and, and, you know, having fun all the time. But there's a depth, a quality of commitment that is, is uh, it's really a magnificent thing to see. And Pastor Ken, um, you know, he's been with me now, I think, 12 years, and and um, uh, the, the whole church knows he's the one who will take over. He is a great Bible teacher. He's a lot smarter than I am. And um, um, I think what will happen here at Calvary Chapel is that we'll just continue to, to come in every time the door is open. We'll say, open your Bibles, too, and we'll teach verse by verse through the Bible. The love in this body will continue to grow. And I hope, I can only hope that the people who come who think that I'm necessary to this will be really pleasantly surprised that, you know, we didn't need Pastor Ron at all. Grateful for me, I hope. But they'll realize that they didn't need me at all. So um, um, with Ken, I can't imagine anything changing. Um, we'll, we'll keep doing what we do. Uh, and then even longer term down the road, you know, Ken's not a kid. He's in his 40s, mid-40s. Um, um, we've got some young men uh, who've been raised in this church since they were babies, literally, their whole lives. Um, men who are called to be pastors, men who are serving now, um, who really, really, really demonstrate that this church is in really good hands. 
Um, and I'm excited for what the Lord is going to do uh, through them. Uh, I kind of look forward to getting to heaven and finding out they got a whole bunch of rewards waiting for me because of the stuff that Pastor Ken and those who will come behind him actually did. So uh, I think our church, uh, Anonymous, is in really, really good hands. Um, um, our, our church body knows what to expect. Uh, and I think uh, once we get over the initial shock of, of losing people that we care about, I think this church will just be all about the Lord's business. And that's the way it's supposed to be. You know, my flesh, our flesh as humans, we, we hope that we're necessary. We hope that, that, well, you know, Lord, if something happens to me, at least make a few problems. But that's just flesh. It, it just isn't going to happen because the Lord has always had this work in his hand. And I, I just believe, Anonymous, that it will continue to function uh, probably far more efficiently and um, even perhaps in more love um, when I'm gone as it, as it does when I'm here. I appreciate the thought. That's a very kind thing uh, to say. I, I would hope that every pastor who's getting um, past their 50s uh, not thinking about retirement, I'm not, but I hope that every pastor has a plan and is developing men who will continue to do the work. We've got 30 minutes left to go in the week. 340-9585. 340-9585. We'll be back in two minutes. the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back. Unlike the government, we're not going to shut down. We've got 30 minutes left in this week. 340-9585. Here's a question from William from our mobile app. William asks, who is Asaph? And are the sons of Korah, as they wrote passages in Psalms? Um, interesting question. Um, um, Asaph is is given credit for writing Psalm 50 and Psalms 73 through 83, um, significant Psalms. Um, the sons of Korah um, were credited with writing 11 Psalms. Um, 11 of our psalms were attributed to them. Now, they're both musicians. They are descendants of Korah, the Korah from the, the clan of the Kohathites. And uh, during David's reign, um, they became leaders in music and worship. Now, these were just men and women who, who not women, I'm sorry, they're men who were com- particularly gifted uh, musically, um, they use their gifts to God's glory. Uh, Asaph, probably the preeminent among them, he was um, um, a, a prophet. We know that he was a songwriter, uh, and and obviously would have been very skilled as well. Um, you remember the the rebellion of Korah. I love this because it's such a great picture of of God's grace. Uh, Korah, Numbers chapter 16, was the one who rebelled against Moses and 250 of his followers were swallowed up in the ground as God's judgment came upon them. You'd think chief grumbler, chief complainer, uh, unwilling to submit to authority, wanted to be in authority. And yet God would take his descendants and many of them would turn into the great worship leaders of the time. So they're really, really important. By the way, Asaph's Psalm, Psalm 73, Paul and I were talking about it today. I mentioned it in the Bible study uh, this past week, uh, challenging people at the church uh, in their devotion time to really think about Psalm 73. It's a masterpiece, and it's something that we need uh, to, to really, really have hidden in our heart so that when when our flesh attacks, when we look around and say, well, God, it's not fair, you're blessing them, and they don't even believe in you, and I'm struggling so much, uh, Asaph was honest enough to open his heart and share his own struggles with us. And Psalm 73 is a priceless treasure. Uh, so, William, uh, they they are, are, are men from a much larger number 
who had been gifted by God to do worship. William, your question gives me an opportunity to talk a little bit about worship. Um, I'm not going to go into too much detail because we don't have the time. But one of the things that uh, we forget about worship, you know, we kind of go in, the music starts playing, whether it's open your hymnals to, or there's a choir in your church, or uh, as in our church, it's more uh, of a band, a contemporary Christian uh, worship band. Um, We need to remember that the lyrics from those songs come from the heart of, in our case, men and women who have been asked by God to represent Him in worship. I have no musical ability at all. You know what's really bad about that? I have such a good ear for music. Um, I understand it. But I can't do anything musically. And I, I, my, my ear for music is so good, I know how terrible I am. And yet, I can look on the stage, and I know what a privilege it is for God to pick people like them, to lead people like me, into the throne room of God. Now, I'm not talking about goosebumps or being emotional, although music does both of those things. But what I'm talking about is preparing our hearts to worship God, to fall in love with Him, to prepare our hearts for the message that's going to communicate, be communicated when they're done. And it's an honor and a privilege. And too often we sort of just go through the motions because it's the same as it always was. And we who are in the audience, people like me who have no musical talent, we're the ones who need to examine our hearts. We're the ones who need to sort of deal with the question, why is my heart far from God when other people around me are worshiping God? Why is it that many in our church culture know how long worship is going to last and they don't even get to church on time because they're not interested in walking in until the worship is done and we get to the Bible? So the sons of Korah, William, and Asaph, they had exactly the same issues that we have in our current worship culture, but these were men who are gifted wonderfully so, gifted by God to do this very thing. It is a very, very important thing. You know, one of the things that you can do the next time you worship at church, look at the lyrics and ask God if you can sing those lyrics with integrity. If you can, then you've learned how to worship God in spirit and in truth. And that's what Jesus is looking for. Thank you. Appreciate the question, William. 340-9585. Here's a question from our mobile app by Nacho. Um, He says, I understand that Paul's thorn in the flesh is not specifically known. However, could it be his eyes, as he mentions in Galatians chapter 4, verses 13 through 15? Nacho, there are a lot of commentators who make the assumption, because Paul mentioned it in the Galatian epistle, uh, who make the assumption that that was his thorn in the flesh. Um... But, but we have no way of knowing that for sure. We don't know that the two things are connected. And in fact, uh, in terms of chronology, um, between writing um, the, the letters to Galatia, his time in Galatia, and his time in Corinth, there was a, a great deal of time that passed. So whether it was his eyes or not, it's possibly true. Now, as one who is visually impaired, and I've shared that with this audience many times, Um, I understand what a thorn in the flesh it is. I love to read. God gave me a good mind and great ability to comprehend and remember. And uh, I can't do that anymore like I used to. And I miss it so much. And there's times when I'll look down at my notes and I can't see anything at all. And I feel like it could be a thorn in the flesh. I think on a scale of of 1 to 10, Paul's thorn in the flesh being a 10, mine is at like a 0.5. And the reason is because uh, Paul's ministry was so impacted. But we, re- we also remember that Paul's thorn in the flesh had a purpose. And the purpose of his thorn was to keep him from becoming conceited because of the surpassingly great revelations that he'd seen. I mean, Paul had the re- mysteries of the church revealed to him. 
mysteries that nobody had ever heard from God before, and Paul was given the answers. Paul not only did miracles, he saw things that we can't even begin to understand. And then he would have these people disagreeing with him, immature Christians. He would have uh, people trying to persecute him. And there were times he must have thought, who do you think you are to question me? And he'd get that thorn in the flesh. So yes, Nacho, it could could very well have been um, the condition in his eyes. Um, Early church historical writings... Um, seemed to indicate that there was some some thick mucusy gunk, and that's my technical term, that was coming from his eyes, and at times it rendered him near uh, completely blind. Uh, but it would have been painful. So yes, it could have been, but it could have been any number of other things. So I hope that helps Nacho. It's the best we can do. Uh, you know, there are whole books written on Paul's thorn in the flesh, and that kind of exercise always sort of amuses me, because how how do you write a book on something that nobody has the answer to? It would be like me saying today, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to talk to you for an hour about the day of the rapture of the church. I wish that day was today, but it's not, at least not yet. Uh, and, And why would we spend any time thinking about something that there's no possible way to have the answer to. Here is a question from Nancy. Why does Jesus say that many will say, Lord, Lord, to him and not get to heaven? Is there any way that we can know for sure? Well, Nancy, he says that because there's a whole bunch of people. All you have to do is look around at your church. Um, There's a whole bunch of people who call Jesus Lord. We raise our hands in singing to him, but we don't do what he says. And Jesus is simply saying, look, you're going to say, Lord, Lord, to me, but I'm going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. They thought they were saved, or they hoped they were saved. But remember, obedience is the proof that we really do belong to him. And any Christian who, who is willfully disobedient and doesn't feel broken by the conviction of the Holy Spirit is probably not a real Christian. And it's not a matter of losing their salvation. It's a salvation they never had. We like to think of ourselves being saved. Of course I'm going to heaven. But we have to honestly ask, what part does Jesus play in our day-to-day life? Is he just an eternal life insurance policy? We hope that's going to get cash when we go to heaven. Or is he the lover of our soul, the Lord of our life, the object of our love? And Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. So what kind of fruit is coming from their lives? And Jesus, when he said that, is is talking to those um, Jewish enemies. Even, Even as he speaks that, they're plotting his death. Yet they claim to represent God. That's why Jesus said, I'll say to you, depart from me, you doer of iniquity. I never knew you. Now, for your question, Nancy, is there any way we can know for sure? The answer is yes. First John talks about the witness of the Spirit, the inner witness of the Spirit that we have. James talks about, I'll show you my faith is real by the works that I do. Again, not not works to get saved, but works because we're saved. Jesus said, if you love me, there'll be fruit, good fruit, coming from uh, the, the life of a genuine Christian. What kind of fruit? Um, Galatians chapter 5, beginning uh, in uh, verse 22. Um, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. If you are walking with Jesus, Nancy, then you know that you're okay. Jesus said, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. And there's no Christian who's abiding in Jesus has any question about their salvation. Let me finish this off, Nancy, by saying this. I'm uh, almost next month, February, will be 27 years in the Lord. And uh, while I've had a lot of hard times, uh, as everybody has hard times, I haven't had one minute of doubt that I belong to Jesus in all those years. Not one minute of doubt. The devil would accuse me. I would say, I know where that's coming from because I belong to him. 
And the key is, again, abiding in Christ. When you're with him, you know for sure to whom you belong. So, Nancy, I hope that helps. We had an anonymous caller just called into the studio. Do we as Christians have authority to cast out demons? Uh, anonymous, we do. Um, every Christian has the power that raised Christ from the dead living in us. And if our motive is to do the work of God, then yes, we do. Now, I, I want to be careful about this because it's not the way you see it on TV. It's not the way these false preachers talk about it. We don't walk up to somebody and say, I bind you in the name of Jesus. Satan just laughs at that nonsense. What we do is we love the people who are afflicted. Mary Magdalene had seven demons cast out of her. Uh, when, when we're encountering demon possession, it is a very painful, very difficult thing to encounter. Demons stink. Often the smell is, is so awful, uh, it's hard to be around without gagging. Some demons have uh, unbelievable strength. Um, um, I've told the story on this program before, but Paula uh, just touched a lady who was demon-possessed in a nursing home ministry that we did many, many, many years ago. And just touching her, Paula got sick. And what I did was I looked right into this lady's face. Her name was Judy. That was not the demon's name. That was her name. And I kept saying to, talking to her, Judy, you know who I am. You know who I'm about. You know Jesus is here with me. And if you want this demon out of you, you just let me know and, and, and he'll come out. The demons lie to you. They'll say they're out when they're not. So this is something that's very difficult. But but to have the authority, you know, we see the movies like The Exorcist. We see this nonsense we see on so-called Christian television about um, making sport out of casting out demons. It's nothing like that at all. If you encounter a demon-possessed person, yes, you have the authority to cast them out. But you better be walking with Jesus. If you're not walking with Jesus, then you go find somebody who is because you're you're no match for the demon inside. You have to have the power of the Holy Spirit. But but don't use Christianese language. I take authority over you. I demand you to come out, that kind of nonsense. Just speak normally. Speak with the power that will come from the Holy Spirit. He will be with you at that moment. And then pray with and through the entire ordeal with the person that you're praying with. If you're not walking with the Lord, and by that I mean if you're if there's willful or unconfessed sin, if uh, you're not a man or woman who's got God's word hidden in your heart, the devil hates God's word, then it's best for you to avoid the confrontation altogether. Remember the seven sons of Siva? One of my great stories in the book of Acts. They encountered a demon-possessed man. They were Jewish exorcists. They encountered a demon-possessed man, men. And they said, in the name of the Jesus, Paul preaches. They didn't even have a relationship with God. But in that name, the, the name Paul keeps preaching, I command you to come out. The demons laughed. They came out, and they pounded him and beat him, but they ran away naked and bleeding. As a result, you've got to be walking with the Lord. Your heart's got to be right. And then you don't have to be afraid. Again, it won't be pleasant, but you don't have to be afraid. So that's the only way that we have authority. But we do have authority if we're walking with the Lord. So thank you, Anonymous, for that question. 340-9585, here is an anonymous question. <laughs> uh, I'm not laughing at you, I'm laughing with you. Does a wife have to submit to her husband? Uh, I'm not being trite when I say this. A wife gets to submit to her husband for the sake of the Lord. Not have to, but gets to for the sake of the Lord. This is the way a marriage works. So yes, a wife needs to submit to the leadership of her husband. Now, there are some boundaries there. The, the rest of the verse says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So if your husband is being a jerk and he asks you to do things that are ungodly, you can't submit to that. You can't submit to any request 
um, no matter whether it's leadership at home, leadership in the government, leadership in the church, you cannot submit to ungodly leadership. By that I mean if they're asking you to compromise who you are, or they're asking you to cross a line over into sin, then your answer has to be no. We also have to remember, husbands and wives, the verse that comes before, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord, it submit one to another out of reverence for God. Submit one to another. So the submission is mutual. Husbands are instructed in chapter 5, verse 25 of Ephesians to love your wives the way Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her. So the husband that, that has to... I tell the people here at Calvary Chapel, Anonymous, all the time, if you have to use the submit word, then you don't get it. You just don't get it. And um, what we have to do is understand that our job is to be like Jesus in the home. But if there are disagreements, differences of opinion, the husband is the head of the household spiritually. And women are to submit, not because they want to, not because the husband is smarter or more spiritual, but because Jesus set the example for us and asks us to do it. One final thought here on this whole issue of submission. If you're unwilling to submit to your husband, and if you have children, why should they submit to you? If you're throwing verses out of your Bible, what keeps them from throwing verses out of their Bibles? Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Let's go to Jim calling from San Antonio. Jim, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. You had a caller that called in a few days ago talking about the revelation and and when we get raptured, we get our our uh, resurrected body, but those who are left behind and get saved during the tribulation uh, don't get a resurrected body. So after at the second coming, those that do get saved during tribulation do not get a resurrected body? No, just just during the millennial reign, Jim. Uh, after, after Jesus comes back and the great white throne judgment is there, everybody for the new heaven and the new earth will have bodies that are, are suited for eternity, and they'll all have glorified resurrected bodies after the thousand years uh, of, of Jesus reigning. Uh, my answer was specifically for those who are in flesh and blood bodies, um, um, during the millennial reign and who will be once again tempted by Satan at the end of the thousand years uh, because they've never been given the free will choice to, to, to serve anybody else. So uh, flesh and blood bodies um, during the thousand years, but after the thousand years are over, everybody will receive, receive glorified resurrected bodies. That helped, Jim? So, well, <laughs> kind of. Uh, so I'm a little confused, though, with who who gets the resurrection, resurrected body at the second coming? Everybody that's saved, including those that receive Christ during the tribulation? Yes, and, and in fact, only those who are saved during the Great Tribulation and during the thousand years. Remember, there's so, going to be an entire generation, billions and billions of people, a thousand years in perfection. There's going to be an entire generation of, of generations multiplied uh, of children that are born and grow up and they're going to live for the whole thousand years. So so uh, the, the earth will be plentiful and all of those people will have uh, flesh and blood bodies. So at the end of the thousand years, those who don't fall to Satan's temptations uh, will then receive their glorified resurrected bodies, and they will go into the new heaven and the new earth. Okay, so, so where did those people come from after the tribulation? Well, there's going to be a lot of people that survive the entire seven years. Okay. And and they, they're going to repopulate the earth. Um, uh, there will be people all over the world. Uh, and uh, again, in a thousand years, because it's going to be uh, a, a near-perfect environment. It can't be like it was in the Garden of Eden. But uh, as as close as a restored Earth can be, 
Um, and they will continue to have families. They will continue to live. We will rule and reign with Jesus in our glorified, resurrected bodies over those who have flesh and blood bodies. So uh, they will procreate and they will have children uh, abundantly so. The earth will be multiplied um, uh, exceedingly so. And uh, um, again, most will have um, um, physical bodies, flesh and blood bodies okay. uh, during that thousand years. Okay, I, I know you're running short on time. I'm still a little confused, so I'll, I'll call another time, and maybe you can uh, put some more light on it. <laughs> I'm still okay. Lost. Thank you, Jim. That's Thanks. okay, Jim. Bye. Thanks very much. Bye. You know, it's frustrating to me when I can't answer a question because to me it's very straightforward. It's it's just um, if you survive the great tribulation, you will have your flesh and blood body. Uh, if at the end of the thousand years. Uh, you don't bow a knee to Satan. If you reject his lies and are not deceived, then then your flesh and blood body will be transformed. You'll receive a glorified resurrected body, uh, and they will be one of us for eternity, forever and ever and ever. Um, but those who reject Jesus, uh, those who are deceived by Satan, uh, will in their flesh and blood bodies be thrown into the lake of fire where they will live forever in, in torment. So it's just the good guys versus bad guys kind of thing. Jim, I'm sorry, I couldn't do better. Uh, thanks for a really good week on the program. I appreciate it very, very much. Um, I told you already at the beginning of the program, go to church on a mission this week. Find somebody who's hurting and be God's gift of love to them. Find somebody you don't know and make sure they know Jesus and make sure they get a chance to know you. And wherever you go to church, let the Word of God speak richly and deeply into your heart. And whatever the Spirit is convicting you of or convicting you to do, do it without delay. Have a great week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back Monday at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.